just want to remind you if this uh, short series on how to overcome evil is helpful to you, I would recommend um, Jay Adams' uh, short little book, How to Overcome Evil, as, um, as an extra resource. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask that uh, by Your Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be um, useful for Your people and honoring to You. I ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And we are going to continue this um, series uh, beyond today as well. I think we're only going to get through the first part of verse 17 this morning. The Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Romans during his third missionary journey, probably around the year 57 A.D. It was likely that he wrote this letter while he was in the, um, the city of Corinth. And so they received this letter, as I say, around 57 A.D., But a seven short years later, Emperor Nero, the ruler of the Roman Empire, declared a great persecution against the Christians in Rome. Some of the Christians he nailed to crosses. Others he tied animal skins on them uh, and placed them in the Colosseum for them to be chased by lions, uh, overcome, and killed. And still others, he tied to posts in his gardens, poured hot tar on them, and then set them ablaze that they would be human torches. Now God knew that these Christians in Rome were going to suffer unthinkable persecution. So in this letter to the book of Romans, how did God tell them to respond to How did God tell them to respond to this evil that was going to be carried out against them? Verses 14 through 21 tell them how to respond. And they tell us how to respond when someone is persecuting us or when someone is mistreating us. Is it reasonable that in light of the persecution that was headed... Um, toward the the Roman uh, Christians that God would tell them what He tells them here in verses 14 through 21. You will remember verse 21 is a summary command of everything that was meant that um, is mentioned here in verses 14 through 21. So when Paul says in verse 21, "Do not be overcome by evil." but overcome evil with good. He has given us instructions on how to overcome evil that is committed against us. So when someone mistreats us, we are called, or rather more accurately, we are commanded by God to respond by returning good toward them. Someone says something bad against you. God says, respond by doing good toward them. 
And as we saw last week, there is no persecution so great that Paul makes an exception. And there is no hurt so deep that Paul excuses us from returning good in response to evil committed against us. I said last week that verses 14 through 20 would give us practical ways uh, to help us obey verse 21. So we're going to look at verses 14 through 17 this week. And the first thing we see in verse 14 is that God um, tells us how we, when He tells us how we are to do good to others who are mistreating us, He, he, first, he first addresses our communication. And I think that's the first response that that um, that we the first this is the first thing that God lays out because the first response that we typically have when someone mistreats us is to open our mouths against them. So before we can do good to them, we often undermine the whole process of overcoming evil by ourselves responding in kind if they say something bad against us. We, we often speak evil in return. And so that because this is so often the case, Paul mentions um, this idea of communication, first of all. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now be honest. If someone mistreats you, what is the first thing that's going to come out of your mouth? Is it going to be a blessing toward them? Or is it going to be a curse toward them? It's probably going to be a curse. James chapter 3 says we're, we are most likely to issue forth a whole river of curses. And maybe not four-letter four words, but... Um, but we are very likely to say with our mouths uh, very uh, hurtful things in response. And maybe even if we don't open our mouths and our hearts, uh, we are cursing them. We're certainly, typically far from blessing them. Listen to what James says in James 3. He says, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And so someone does something against us, says something uh, hurtful to us, and we're likely to respond with this venomous tongue that we have in our mouths. When God tells us not to only refrain from cursing someone who mistreats us, but also to bless them instead, God is expecting something very radical from us. We are to bless those who mistreat us? (laughs) Really? Paul makes it even more radical by saying this within the context of persecution. 
Again, if we're honest with ourselves, it's all but impossible for us to bless our spouse when he or she makes us angry. Much less someone who is committing persecution against us. I mean, come on, Paul. You're, come on, God. You're, you're being a little extreme here, wouldn't you think? We might be tempted to think. But this passage is not unique in the Bible. It's not unique to Paul. This expectation of responding to evil with blessing is quite widespread in the Bible. I'll mention just a few few instances. In Matthew 5.44, Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What better blessing could come out of our mouths than to pray for your persecutor? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. And there are many passages throughout the Scriptures that says when we are mistreated, instead of cursing, we are to bless. Instead of returning evil, we are to return good. Probably the most famous passage in this connection is also the most misunderstood. In Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 31, Jesus says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. This passage is often used to teach pacifism because it says to turn the other cheek. But if you look closely at the context of this passage, uh, it is clear that Jesus is not speaking about warfare. Nor is He forbidding self-defense. Rather, what's happening here is this is Jesus' very startling way of saying that you must return only good for evil. You are called not, or you are not called to turn um, your cheek in every sense, but only in the sense of returning good for evil. In this passage here in Luke 6, Jesus is telling us that we are to give the person every opportunity to repent and do the right thing. They, they uh, slap us on one cheek, and so we're to, be, we're to patiently turn the other cheek uh, to give them an opportunity to repent. In fact, this is far from pacifism. When we turn the other cheek, what we're doing is we are demanding from them better than they are giving to us. When we turn the other cheek, we are refusing to accept their sinful behavior as the final word or the final action. What we are doing in effect when we turn the other cheek is we're hanging in there for a little bit longer. We're hanging in there with that person who is doing evil against us and attempting to overcome their evil by offering a loving 
soft response in return. Speaking blessing and doing good to the person who is mistreating us is a very powerful response. We are unleashing love against them. Uh, Love attacks hatred in the same fashion and with the same force that light attacks darkness. You go into a dark room, you flip on the light switch, and the darkness is quickly overcome. And so likewise, love, when we respond in a loving way to someone who is acting in an evil way against us, that is, the, that is God's way of overcoming evil, by love. Love is able to drive out um, evil. Love is able to overcome any maliciousness against us if God so wills. I know we're talking about someone doing evil against us. But love applied in this same fashion within marriages where there are big difficulties is just as powerful. Because I know that there can be a temptation when a difficult marriage turns into uh, years and decades of a difficult marriage. It's easy to give up hope. And God says a loving response is able to overcome a whole lot of sin, a whole lot of mistreatment, and a whole lot of bitterness. Not only toward our, when our persecutors are persecuting us, but also in the marriage relationship. So Paul tells us in verse 14, Do not destroy your opportunity to love someone by opening your mouth and letting the curses fly. But he's telling us not simply to keep our mouth closed. Keeping your mouth closed is not all you are called to do in verse 14. Let me reiterate what Paul is saying here in this verse. He is saying you are to positively bless them with your speech. In the passages I quoted a few moments ago, we saw that Jesus told, told us to pray for those who persecute us. And that's wise counsel. When we are being mistreated... I think our first response, if we're going to speak blessing to a person who's treating us, I think it is wise for us to take a detour before we speak to them. And speak to God first. God, please forgive this person. And you may not need to say it, pray verbally where they get to hear it, but in your heart, God, help um, forgive this person. Help me to forgive this person. And then you focus, you, you can begin to focus on their welfare because you're called to do them good. And if you're praying to God for them, if you're focusing on their welfare, then I think you will better be able to open your mouth in blessing uh, toward that person. Have the opportunity to say some things to that person and actually have them receive it positively. And God doesn't expect us just to say a few nice things to our adversary. He calls us to empathize with them, um, to enter into their lives 
and allow their concerns to become ours. That's the meaning of verse 15. So look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I think this verse means that we are to identify with the positive and the negative aspects of their lives. We are to overcome their evil toward us with good toward them. And if, But in order to do that, in order to do good toward them, we need to become involved enough in their lives to know what meaningful good that we can do. We need to know what their needs are. We need to be willing to enter into the lives, empathize with those who are mistreating us enough so that we are able to weep with them and rejoice with them. And in so doing, show them that we care and also find out what real needs that they truly have. You know, when Jesus came into the world, He came to seek the lost. So where did we find Jesus oftentimes in the Gospels? Well, we found Him entering into the lives of lost people. We found Him entering into the lives of sinners. And that's one of the big gripes that the Pharisees had against Him. That He was eating and drinking with tax collectors and with sinners. So for us to empathize with our adversary, like Jesus was empathizing with these sinners to the point that He was entering their homes, eating with them, drinking uh, with them, fellowshipping with them. You know, that's probably not going to be very popular uh, among our more self-righteous friends or relatives. You might hear things like, oh, they dug their own hole. Don't you dare help them. Or, I can't believe you even consider helping them after what they did to you. And so just as Jesus was scorned for His willingness to not only not curse, but bless those He was seeking to win to Himself. So, uh, you may find um, that even within the church, others might discourage you from that. Don't be discouraged. Empathize with your adversary. As I said earlier, this is, this is pretty radical stuff. This is not the way people talk about uh, conflict resolution. But I think verse 16 will help us bring it into a better perspective to see that, that this is really the gospel way of handling conflict. Look at verse 16. The first part of verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. Um, I like the NIV translation, um, but... I'm sorry, NIV. I meant to say ESV. Um, but this is a, a poor translation of the original Greek. Literally, the Greek is translated the same mindset toward one another. That's, what, that's how this reads. And so they, the translators help us by uh, saying in verse 
translating it, live in harmony with one another. But this is not a command. In fact, it's just a statement of fact. Uh, the same mindset toward one another. That's, that's, that's what it says here. And he's, what he's doing is he's, he's continuing on in this um, vein of talking about empathy. He's telling us uh, how we are to empathize, how closely we are to empathize with one another, that we would have even have the same mindset. So, if they are mistreating us because they don't like they don't like God, how can the Bible be telling us to have the same mindset as them? I think what Paul is saying is that we are to realize that we ourselves are more often in the position that our adversaries are um, than we'd like to think. That we have all had the same attitude towards God as those uh, have toward us who are mistreating us. Who among us has never mistreated God? We have wronged Him. Um, We have mistreated Him when there's nothing that He has ever done to us that deserves our mistreatment of Him. God is not simply good to us. God is goodness itself. He is good. He is light. There is no darkness in Him at all. Everything He does to us, everything He does for us is good. Think of the ways you've sinned against Him. Think of the ways you have dishonored Him. Think of the ways you have dis- disgraced Him. And, and um, think of the ways you have refused to trust in Him. And how has He returned your slights and your disparagements? He has only returned good back to you. He has only worked good to all of you who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And even to you who do not love Him, you are receiving many good things from Him as well. He is so good. Think here, uh, when this passage says that we have the same mindset uh, with the person who has sinned against us. I think it's it's relaying the fact that, that we're in the same position, that we we have mistreated God and so we shouldn't get uh, all self-righteous about them mistreating us. When you are being persecuted or mistreated, the great temptation is to focus on ourselves. Oh, woe is me. Oh, look how badly this person has treated me. What God is doing here in verses 15 and 16 is calling us to turn our attention away from ourselves and to focus on how you can be a source of God's blessing to them. That's what Jesus was doing even while He was hanging from the cross. Remember what Jesus said? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
He was seeking to bless those who had hung Him on the cross. The way of love always looks outside ourselves. And it asks, what can I do for? Not what can I do to, but what can I do for this person who has wronged me? The tendency of a self-focused person is to look down our noses at the one who is mistreating us. We think we are more righteous and therefore we become prideful. And look at the second part of verse 16. Paul says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. We have no right and we have no room for pride even when we are being persecuted because we ourselves are sinners. If God took the same attitude toward us as we are tempted to take toward our adversary, where would we be? So do not be high-minded toward your adversary. In fact, many times when we are mistreated, truth be told, we've done something to bring it upon ourselves. Or when we've been mistreated, we've disobeyed verse 14, and we've responded in kind with an unkind word. In other words, Paul is calling us, God is calling us to be humble. To be humble enough to ask the person who is mistreating us to forgive us if we have... Um, if we have acted in kind to them. That kind of humility is so important toward overcoming evil against us. Pride can be a sticking point. There are many friendships that have ended, many marriages that are on the rocks, simply because one party or both parties are too prideful to really ask forgiveness for the things they've done to the other person even if the other person started it. The other person started it, and you respond in kind, you need to ask forgiveness. If the other person knocks you on the one cheek, and you give a verbal abuse back, which might not hurt as much as the, the bruise on your cheek, you are still required as a follower of Jesus Christ to ask for their forgiveness. And so it requires humility. So Paul says, do not be haughty, or literally, as it says in the Greek, do not be high-minded, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. My final point before I move to the conclusion is brief. That is, uh, my final point is from verse 17. So he says in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. I just want to look at that first phrase in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil. This passage underscores for us that there are no exceptions allowed when it comes to repaying evil for evil. You are forbidden to do it as a follower of Jesus Christ. If Emperor Nero were hunting you down like a wild animal, you are never allowed to repay evil for evil. 
If your adversary spreads uh, rumors about you at work, you are never allowed to respond in kind. Children. Got a lot of children in here. If your brother or sister hits you or pulls your hair, you are never allowed to respond in kind. Parents, I think that might be a helpful um, little tip in parenting. Because what happens, you know how it works. You know, you, the parents usually get involved with the second hit. Because that's when the crying really starts. The first person hits, the other person retaliates, and then there's a lot of crying. Then the, the, the parents uh, find out what's happening. They may have even seen the second lick. And um, then the, the one who was hit first, or the one who hit second says, I was hit first. And then it gets convoluted, and then the energy from the parent to parent is drained out by all the arguing. It can be simple. A simple way to untie this is if there's retaliation, the person who retaliates is wrong, regardless of what started it or who started it. Because Paul says here in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one pulled hair for pulled hair. This is all good advice for overcoming evil. And I'm sure it will be successful when tried. But let's be honest. We rarely see it all the way through. It takes a lot of trust in God to really love someone who is mistreating us. But you can trust God while you are going through the mistreatment or while you are going through the persecution. Our God is sovereign. He is 100% in control of your life and 100% in control of your adversary's life. No one could mistreat you if He did not allow it. And He has a good and perfect purpose in allowing it. Furthermore, He commands us in verse 21 to overcome evil by doing good. Is He going to tell you to overcome evil if He has no intention of really overcoming evil? God is personally involved in the mistreatments or the persecutions directed against you. And you can trust Him implicitly. The question is, Will you? Let me remind you of our Lord Jesus. He loves us so much. He went to the cross for us. As I said last week, how did He repay our sin against Him? By going to the cross. Being stretched out on it. Submitting to have the nails driven through His hands and His feet submitted to having our sins to be placed upon Him so that the Bible can say that He became sin for us. All that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. He repaid our sin by His goodness. 
Christian. Will you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you love others, even your enemy, knowing that Christ loves you? Let's pray together. Father, this is heavy medicine that um, doesn't go down real smoothly because we all have cherished wounds that have um, been given us by others. We have all uh, nurtured bitterness because of sins done against us. We have all repaid evil in kind. And Lord, it is truly humbling, humiliating to go to someone who has sinned against us and then ask for their forgiveness because we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, pour out Your Spirit Give us grace to love well because we are loved well by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.